Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Welcome to Bad Axe Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Blinka. And I'm your co-host, Aaron. Bad Axe is brought to you by the Podmoth Media Network. Check out Podmoth for more great podcasts. As always, you can support the show and get months worth of bingeable content over at patreon.com backslash badaxepod. There is a link in our show notes and memberships start at just $1. You can also support the show for free by leaving us a positive review and telling a friend about us. Today we have a very short case. It's not really that short. It's kind of a medium-sized case. As I told everyone last week, my grandmother passed away on March 7th, and we have been in North Carolina for the past few days for her funeral and family visits with my dad's family. Most of my dad's family lives in Georgia and North Carolina. My grandmother was from North Carolina and wanted to be buried there, so that is why we went there. And it has just been a crazy week for us. I wasn't sure I was even going to have enough time to do a case for us, but I really wanted to. So here we are. We're up at the line. It is Wednesday evening, and this comes (laughs) out on Thursday morning. We will see how it comes. But I just wanted to to let everyone know now that that's why I think it's going to be a little bit shorter, is I intentionally picked a case that's new, that really caught my eye. This case at just absolutely shocked me. I think that you'll find it interesting. There are some pieces of it that are just absolutely insane. I mean, I cannot believe that this happened (laughs) or that someone would admit to this. And so I thought this would be a good case to do. And so we got back yesterday and I decided to do this today. So I hope that you find it interesting. We did have some really nice moments with my family, which was amazing. And also, we had some fun. Absolutely. We went to an art museum. The Nasher Art Museum at Duke University is outstanding. It's far outseated my expectations. And it's free. and has just such a diverse amount of art. I just got to see so many good things that if you go there, if you're in the area of Durham, North Carolina, you should go there. Yeah. Highly recommended. It's awesome. We also enjoyed Raleigh. And we enjoyed Hillsborough, which is where my grandmother is from. And we stayed at this hotel called the Colonial Inn which was built in the 1700s, which is really old for the U.S. And apparently George Washington slept there, probably. That's what the local legend says, and there seems to be some evidence of this. We stayed there. It was really cool. We There were some really old stairs that we got to walk on. That, was, that sounds like I'm being sarcastic, but it was actually really awesome. And it was just a lot of cool old houses in the area, and I like old buildings, so I really got to enjoy those moments. So, Absolutely. Yeah, and like some of our family members, well, my family members, not Aaron, he wasn't part of it, no offense, but some <laughs> of my family members are from there, and so that was pretty exciting. Oh, and I got to see some pictures of some of my ancestors, and I've been doing that for a while. I have like a lot of Scottish ancestors that were sent here like against their will, essentially, because they rebelled against the crown a lot. Turns out they did not stop rebelling when they got here, 
and were super, super jazzed up to do some revolutioning <laughs> when they were here. But also, I have some Native American ancestry, and I have some Nigerian ancestry. And so I've been kind of like trying to figure out which one of my ancestors came from where. And it's been exciting to see some pictures. And you can kind of see like which ones might have been like the right strand of the family tree to go up to find out like where they came from, which is pretty exciting. So that was a, a nice moment to have. All right, well, I'm just wasting time talking about myself. Nobody wants to listen to this. So, so we should jump in to today's case. Today, we are going to Las Cruces, New Mexico in June 2021. Las Cruces is in the southeastern corner of New Mexico and is the state's second largest city with just over 111,000 residents. One of those residents is my friend, Brian. Yay! Yay! Who moved there not too long ago. Shout out to Brian if you're listening. He lives in Las Cruces now. It is very close to El Paso, Texas, as well as to Mexico. And Las Cruces is near multiple mountain ranges, including the Oregon Mountains, the Doña Ana Mountains, and the Robledo Mountains. And in a past episode, we all learned that the Oregon Mountains are named after the musical instrument, and not human body parts, which is how it sounded to me. Interesting. I know. So you're learning things. I remembered that when I saw that. I was like, ooh, Oregon Mountains. I know about that. And we got to use that information today, again, to know what those mountains look like, which I thought was neat. That is pretty neat. The city has a visually interesting landscape. It's very deserty with, like, cacti and mountains. And it's actually part of the Chihuahuan Desert. It's kind of on the edge of it, which is pretty cool. And you could paint it forever. So if you want to be a painter, and I like to paint landscapes. So Las Cruces, 10 out of 10 for that. Back in June 2021, 51-year-old James Garcia, whose nickname was Rabbit, lived in Las Cruces. Garcia came from a large, close-knit adoptive family, and he was also a father of three children, a daughter named Felicia and two sons named James Edward and Josiah. Friends and family describe Garcia as funny and helpful and always willing to be there for someone. So he was a pretty nice guy. On Sunday, June 20th, 2021, which happened to be Father's Day, Garcia was in Opadaca Park, which is in Las Cruces. That Sunday, Garcia encountered 25-year-old Joel Arcanega Sainz, and the two men were acquaintances before this. At the time, Arcanega Sains, which I'm having trouble a little bit saying, lacked a home, and so he spent his days and nights in the park. And later on, he would tell police that he was basically living in this park, although he did tell some conflicting information about where he lived. Unfortunately, he also believed that Garcia had wronged him, and that's what's going to kick off all the events of our case today. In Arcanega Sainz's mind, he allegedly convinced himself that Garcia had sexually assaulted his wife four years prior. Now, it's important to note that there is no evidence of Garcia committing any kind of assault like this. And most importantly, uh, Joel could never provide the identity of this wife. Oh, wow. Which is the wildest part of the story is he's never able to actually provide a name or any kind of information about this alleged wife. <laughs> Additionally, <laughs> I know, right? So also four years ago, 
at the same time that that was happening, Joel had been arrested for another alleged crime that we'll be talking about later, and he didn't have a wife at the time of his arrest, and also spent the next year in jail. So, I mean, make of that what you will, but it does not sound like he actually had a physical, like, living, breathing wife. Despite this alleged assault, Arcanega Sainz told authorities that he, Garcia, and this unnamed, unfound wife had been hanging out in the days prior to the incident that is going to occur on June 20th. On Sunday, June 21st, Arcanega Sainz says that he and this unnamed wife fell asleep while hanging out with Garcia. When they woke up, all of their possessions were gone. Uh-oh. Also, and remember, this person does not exist. <laughs> he believed that Garcia stole this, these belongings, and so he stalked him around the park. Now, in some of his statements, he listed as following him to the park, but has also said that he lives in the park. So this is kind of one of the inconsistencies I was talking about. Right. But what we know is, is that Garcia was in the park that day, and Arcanega Sainz saw him and said, this guy wronged me. I should do something about it. Unbeknownst to Garcia, Arcanega Sainz decided to get revenge against him on that Father's Day in the park. According to what Arcanega Sainz told the police, he approached Garcia and confronted him about this possible theft or whatever it is that was going on in his mind that day. During this incident, he took a switchblade from Garcia. Now, this switchblade was very short and measured only about six inches long or like less than six inches. However, despite it being short, it did not make it any less deadly because wielding this weapon, Arcanega Sainz attacked Garcia in retaliation, stabbing him multiple times. After murdering Garcia... He then cut off his head oh my God. with a switchblade that was short and also cut off his middle finger on his right hand for some reason. Damn. Horrifically, though, that is not the end of this crime. So at this point, he stabbed him in the torso. He cuts off his head. He cuts off his finger. And then he decided to play soccer with Garcia's head. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. That is according to his confession. Now, these details were not anything that could have been known by police. So, it's not something that they could have been feeding him. Because literally, if you want to watch it, you can actually watch the police arriving on the scene. Because they released their body cam footage. And they were not expecting anything like this. Like, their reactions are just like what you would expect from anybody walking on the scene. Which we'll talk about in a moment. So, this is not something that they anticipated. Like, oh, did you play with the head no he volunteered this information and said that he had played soccer with garcia's head and he kicked it around the park and even kicked it at cars oh my god And he said that he kicked it at 14 individual cars as he was playing soccer with it that's unbelievable yes and according to his story he claims that the head bounced off of some of the cars jesus yeah what it's the fuck? So messed up. It's incredibly messed up. Oh, yeah. Like I, that's so awful. And just who who does that? Like how do you even think about doing that? 
I don't know. Like, that's deranged. It's deranged. It's messed up. It's messed up. That is why I could not stop thinking about this, though, because what? Yeah, I mean, that's that's out there. I don't think I've ever heard of anything like that before. Yes. Now, as this, he tells police this during his confession, and he offered this information freely. Now, later, his lawyer would start to claim that this wasn't true. And that if it were true, then the police would have had found a lot of evidence on cars and because, you know, the head bounced off some of them. But I think the problem is, is that it's not clear if the people in the cars realize what was happening. Right. Because if these people are just driving or even have parked their cars and are doing something somewhere else in the park and then come back, they may not have noticed the incident like that it hit somewhere on their car because I feel like you don't like examine your car when you get back and like you have a blue car yep. it's dark in color like if there was some blood on it at the bottom because you know a head hit it like there's no way we would think we should look at the bottom of this car to see if there's head blood yeah and you drive off if you didn't see anything yeah like and it's, the cops and, would never find you exactly and you wouldn't think to yourself oh my gosh like normal people are not like us like i i'm constantly worried about crimes happening but a lot of regular people wouldn't see this story and think oh my goodness did my car get the head knocked into it yeah so i think that that's not really a suitable argument for that the lawyer also claims that Arcanegas Sains didn't have noticeable blood on his shoes to support the story that he kicked the head around, but he also, he definitely had blood on the shoes, at least some of it, because his bloody shoe prints were found that we're going to talk about. So he definitely had some blood on his shoes because they matched his shoe prints to shoot bloody shoe prints in the area. And also he had been walking around in the park afterwards. So it's possible that some of the blood had rubbed off. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so it's like, that doesn't really seem like a completely convincing argument that he didn't actually do this since he volunteered this information. And again, it was a very disturbing scene when they got there. So it wasn't just like a regular murder scene that then they hyped up. Like, it was pretty bad. And we're going to get to that in a second. After he brutalized Garcia's body, Arcanega Sains left his remains laying on Madison Avenue near the park for passersby to find. Like, it's literally the road that goes right by the park. So he's still in the park and the body is just in the road. And that is exactly what happened. People found the body. They just encountered it and started to call police. Additionally, some callers just reported hearing screaming coming from the park. And were in the area and didn't know why people were screaming, but started calling authorities to report the screams. Police, or at least the first officers responding, arrived to the area at around 10.55 p.m. to find a deranged murder scene, as you can probably imagine. Yeah. And again, they have released the body cam footage so you can watch it. In the street, Garcia's headless body was laying face down or front down because, again, he doesn't have a face anymore. When officers first arrived on the scene, they reacted in horror, and one officer was heard on this body cam footage saying, oh, fuck, and holy shit. Yeah. Like, he walks up, sees it, and then is just like, nope. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly how I would react. Yeah, that's a normal reaction. I mean, obviously, he's seen other horrible crimes, but this particular crime he walks up on, he first just sees... A headless body, it is like, oh my god. 
Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, even a police officer who's who's seen like you say a whole bunch of bad stuff probably mm-hmm. is still like appalled by this. And yeah, I mean, it can't, you can't blame them. Yeah, and you can tell from this footage that like not only are they appalled, but they're also just confused by what they are saying. They're not speculating and coming up with fantastic stories that would explain why he does this confession. Yeah, because he pretty much immediately tells them all this stuff. They. Eventually, again, since the head wasn't there, they had to go look for it. They eventually found Garcia's head about 10 yards away from his body. Wow. Which is messed up. As police canvassed the scene, they encountered Arcanega Sains sitting under a tree just yards away from the murder scene, surrounded by bags. And there, again, there's, there's footage of them finding him because it's on, they had their uh, body cams on. So they're walking through the park. It's it's dark, but they have a light that you can you can get, see a pretty good visual considering that it's dark outside. And so you can see them literally walk up and see this man sitting under the tree with his stuff there. And it's their main suspect. And he becomes their main suspect because they notice some red flags immediately. Yeah. And one of them is that he had a lot of blood on his clothes. That's always a red flag. Yeah, super red flag considering that you have a murder victim just yards away. It's not that far. They literally are at the scene. They start walking past some trees and there's him. So they see all this blood on him. And the second reason why he was an immediate suspect is that he had a bloody knife stabbed into the ground beside him. That's also a very yeah. big red flag. So yeah. they're like, oh, hey, there's a bloody knife. We have a victim used, killed by a knife. Uh, one plus one equals two. Mm-hmm. So they decide to take him into custody and question him, search his stuff, and check out this murder scene. And the takedown is like probably pretty smooth for a takedown. You can watch it. It's hard to see him because the gun kind of like blocks the body cam footage, which is a little bit sus. That his gun stance covers up anything that's happening on the other side. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that's intentional because these cops seem to be pretty good cops. But it does seem a little bit sus that, like, now you can release it and be like, oh, yeah, he was over there doing all sorts of crimes. Like, if you're a terrible cop and you are shooting people that don't need to be shot, you know, it's like you're like, oh, no, like, can't you see? Oh, no, I blocked it. Oh, terrible. Yeah, you probably shouldn't be doing that. But regardless, you can watch him arrest them arrest him. And when they do cuff him, they see dried blood on his hands. So this is just more evidence that they're finding. Also, under that tree where he was sitting, they also found Garcia's severed middle finger in a pool of blood. And Arcanega's Sainz's shoe prints are like all around it. Yeah. And it's like matches the shoes that he's wearing at the time. So they're like, oh, that's the shoe print. That's the finger. There's the blood here. He's got the blood. He's got the murder weapon covered in the blood. His hands are covered in blood. This is really is adding up. Yeah, this is a slam dunk. Yeah, there's a lot of evidence here. Now, under questioning, he admitted to stalking Garcia to the park, murdering him, decapitating him, and playing soccer with his head. And again, even though the lawyer says the soccer thing did not happen he volunteered that information so i am inclined to believe it and also the head was further away from the body how did it get there i mean it's possible he did other stuff to it but it kind of sounds like he might have kicked it at least the one time which is messed up yeah also cutting off heads messed up yes all of this very messed up Uh uh-huh it's a messed up situation after his arrest the truth came out about his past and some questions 
started to be thrown around about why he was free in the first place. Now, I will tell you before we get into the past, he does eventually plead not guilty to the soccer thing, uh, to all of this. Wow. So just anticipate this is alleged that he's going to plead not guilty to this. Uh, because, you know, of course, I'm sure he's being whatevered. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see how they're going to go with, for that. Yeah. So let's talk about his criminal past. <laughs> criminal past. Criminal past. His criminal past. He has a criminal past. Back in June 2017, Joel Arcanega Sainz had actually been accused of committing a completely separate murder. Oh, Jesus. At this time, he was 21, and the victim in the incident was 21-year-old Benjamin Montoya. On April 22nd, 2017, someone shot Montoya at the Townhouse Motel in Las Cruces. That day, Montoya and his girlfriend Dakota Acampo went to the motel to stay with Arcanega Sains, who was living in a motel room at that time. They planned to spend the night in his room. However, at some point during the night slash day, because I'm not sure what time this occurred, the three of them began fighting, or at least two of them began fighting. And during that altercation, someone shot Montoya with a 38 caliber gun. Authorities suspected that Arcanega Sainz fired the fatal shot, but he said that he was smoking outside when he heard the shot fired. Police doubted the story because they spotted what they believed to be blood on his clothes. Additionally, Dakota told them that she witnessed this entire incident and she saw Arcanega Sainz shoot her boyfriend. She was going to be their key witness in his trial to try to convict him of this murder. Now, in the meantime, he was arrested. Officers did not find the gun used to shoot Montoya. But they did, like, the authorities did charge him with this crime. And the court had set a bond for him, but he couldn't pay it. And so he had been sitting in jail awaiting this trial. That was supposed to come up. So from 2017, April 2017, through into 2018, he was sitting in jail awaiting trial for Benjamin Montoya's murder. Unfortunately, that trial would never happen because about a year after Montoya's murder, police arrested Dakota Acampo in an unrelated crime. She had been going back and forth between El Paso and Las Cruces for some reason. It's unclear why. Some Maybe something to do with this crime. But regardless, she ended up getting arrested. Now, at the time of her arrest, in her possession, officers recovered a 38 caliber gun. That is the same caliber that was used to kill Benjamin Montoya. And again, remember, they never found the murder weapon. So it's significant that she has a similar gun. Yeah, it is. So because of this, and she's like the key witness, she's their main evidence. Because even though they said they thought they saw blood, it's never like presented that they have definitive evidence that this was Benjamin's blood. And so as a result, they can't really use her as a witness. Because at this point, she's an alternative suspect. And if you believe our Kanega sayings, which before he commits another murder, he's much more believable. Yeah. He, he might have been outside smoking. The, this couple may have gotten into a fight. She could have shot him. It Honestly, after she's found with this gun, it sounds way more suspicious that she could be the shooter for reals. Exactly. So at that point, the court decides that he, there's really not enough evidence to charge him at this point. And so they dismiss charges against him without prejudice and freed him from jail in April 2018. At this time, he had been in jail for about a year as he was waiting for this trial. It's important to note, though, that since these charges were dismissed without prejudice, prosecutors can charge him again in the future if they find 
better evidence to you know convict him of Benjamin's murder. Because at this point, nobody has been charged and convicted with Benjamin Toya's murder. And so he has had no justice whatsoever. Like he's just died and there's no reason behind it and there's no justice. His sister, Crystal Montoya, says that she has been unable to move on from her brother's murder, especially with his accused killer out and about living his or her life or their life. She said of her grief, quote, I cry every day still and on his birthday and the day he died, unquote. That's awful. I know. It's really awful. Like, it's hard to imagine losing a sibling, especially to murder and especially when you don't get any answers. And according to her... She was really involved with with her brother. Like, they were really close. And he would call and check up on her. And she talked about missing having him call and, like, be like, what's up, sis? And that kind of stuff. And now she doesn't have that because of some idiot, probably one of these two, and we don't know who. Crystal also said, quote, "Since Since 2017, I can't. I find myself getting angry for nothing. And I feel like because I don't have my brother and because I don't know who did it, unquote. It sounds like the family always kind of suspected that Arcanega Sains did it. But also now that he's committed this other murder, she looks at it like they let a monster out of jail and that he never should have been released and that this other family now has to suffer in the same way that she's suffering or she's hoping they don't. But I mean, it's the reality. Yeah. I mean, he has three kids. Like his whole family's suffering, but like he has three kids that have lost their father. Yeah. And, which is ridiculous. And they had to go through this like horrific way for the, mm-hmm. them to lose to lose their husband it's just or, and absolutely. father, you know. And then also too, a lot of you know everyone's like kind of reporting these wild allegations that the murderer made against him or the alleged murderer made against James Garcia when there's literally no evidence and again like based on all obtainable information, he never even had a wife and he's using he's using that to make this guy look bad. Yeah, exactly. Also, even if he did do that, I still don't think he should be playing soccer with someone's head. Like, come on. No. But also, no, he didn't do anything. Like, they're, like you don't even have a wife. Exactly. Like, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But you hear that part and people start to, like, think negatively. And I've seen this in a couple of different cases, especially when unhoused people are involved. I think it's because there, I think there's a certain type of mental health situation where they imagine crimes against women they love. I don't know why it why that would be what where their brain goes, but it, I think that's where the issue is occurring is that you have people that are out of jail because or not out of jail, but out like of a house because they're mentally ill that are living in parks and wherever and they need help, but they're not getting that help. And then for some reason in their mind they're like, I had a woman in my life and that woman was assaulted. This guy did it. Yep. Because one of the times that on Patreon we did a string of cases and current events where apparently it is a thing that people set homeless people on fire, which was shocking to me because I came across one of those cases that was recent and I was going to do it for the current events, recent crimes uh, rundown thing that we do on Patreon. And then I realized that there were like, It's just like a thing. Like, people just light homeless people on fire for some reason. And occasionally, those people are other homeless people who have accused that person of some kind of crazy thing that there's no evidence they did. And sometimes, it's, like, really obvious they didn't do it because it's like this situation where someone's claiming their wife was assaulted when they don't have a wife or where, like, the other person was in a whole different city at the time that whatever the thing is supposedly occurred. 
it's just it's weird that this happens and in this case that is the pathway that his you know accusation went now in addition to murder Joel also had been arrested in May 2021 for throwing rocks at local businesses in the Mesquite Historic District. In that case, surveillance footage showed him committing the vandalism. It doesn't sound that bad, but hold on, because it gets, it gets a little bad. Hold on, because it gets a little bad. Specifically, he damaged a coffee shop called Beck's Roasting House and Creamery. After throwing a rock through the window, he went inside and damaged furniture, equipment, and merchandise causing over $5,000 in damage. Wow. Yeah, like a lot. During the incident, he also wrote a homophobic statement on the counter in permanent marker for some reason. So I guess just wild and out, apparently. I thought that part was really confusing. I really wish they would have asked him at some point, like, what were you doing there, bud? Yeah. I mean, why are you angry at a coffee shop? Why are you damaging it? Why are you writing offensive statements on the countertop? Good question. It's confusing. So he did that. Then he also went down the street and broke windows at Las Cruces Abstract and Title Company and damaged the windows on a truck that was in the business's parking lot. Everybody knows that true crime can be a real buzz killer. So why not pair it with a nice glass of wine? Join us, Macy and Nicole, the hosts of Buzzkillers, a true crime podcast as we drink our way through new bottles of wine every week while navigating true crime cases, conspiracy theories, and even some spooky haunts. The deep dives are kept light with banter and personal tales, and even the occasional boozy hiccup. Listeners are encouraged to grab a drink of any kind and tune in every Sunday as we tell the tales of the wicked that plague this world. Buzzkillers can be streamed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and anywhere else you like to listen. Check out our website, www.buzzkillerspodcast.com for more information. After the incident, authorities charged him with two counts of criminal damage to property, one count of burglary of a vehicle, and one count of non-residential burglary. Interesting. In that case, he'd actually been released on a $2,000 bond while he awaited trial. However, this bond was an unsecured bond, which I did not know existed. An unsecured bond means that you only have to pay if you miss your court hearings. Interesting. So it's like confusing. It's kind of like a credit bond. It's like, it's basically like a non-bond. Like essentially it's a fine if you don't go to court. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't have to pay any money, you just get out. Mm-hmm. Which, since he was unhoused or homeless... It kind of makes sense that they would let him do this because otherwise he wouldn't be able to afford to get out of jail and like, yay, justice system doing better. But at the same time, you know, he apparently was a monster that they did not realize this. The district attorney had opposed this release because, you know, they're looking at the prior incident with Benjamin Montoya and saying like, this is like a repeat criminal and we should keep this guy in jail. Like this is an opportunity to get him off the streets, but the judge is only allowed to consider the criminal damage and burglary charges. And based on that information, this guy doesn't seem to be a danger to the public. He just seems to be reckless and like, you know, kind of like not doing the right thing. If that makes sense. Like, yeah, he's, this isn't great, but it's not like emergency, no bond for you situation. 
So they let him out and then he ends up doing all this. Because this was literally like right before the murder. Like I think maybe a month before. Like let me double. Yeah, May 2021 is when the, the vandalism happens. And then one month later is when he murders James Garcia. Wow. So had they not let him have this unsecured bond, he would have been in jail and not able to murder James Garcia. That sucks. But at the same time, you don't have, like, a way to predict that. Yeah, it's really difficult. Yeah. So it's a hard line to walk. It's terrible. Especially since, you know, it does look like prior to the second murder, it did, like, if I were looking at these facts when they found out that Benjamin Montoya's girlfriend had a gun that was similar to the one that killed him, I would have been like, oh, my God, I really think she did it. Yeah. Probably not this other guy. But, I mean... In light of these events. It kind of looks... It looks a lot more suspicious. Yeah, it changes things. It looks extremely suspicious. Yep. In the Las Cruces murder, prosecutors charged Joel Arcanega-Sains with first-degree murder, and the court denied him bond because the judge found him to be a danger to society. Yep. So he is waiting trial at the Doña Ana County Detention Facility. Since he has not been convicted, these are all alleged crimes, and the case is still technically ongoing. Authorities say that Arcanega Saints is their man based on his confession, the bloody knife, the shoe prints, and the blood on his himself and the stuff yeah. in his hands. So, I mean, there's good concrete evidence here. Yep. He is pleading not guilty as of the last information I could find about this. Who knows? Maybe they'll try to go for, like, insanity somehow. I mean, clearly he's having some mental health problems. But it doesn't say that he didn't think it was wrong to kill this guy. It says that he had some weird beliefs about wrongs. Yeah. He he might have believed this guy did all these crimes against him, but that doesn't mean he think that he's like... Yeah. He clearly knew it was wrong. So, yeah. yeah. Or he... I just feel like he definitely did. I don't know. I just... Ugh. Yeah, it's a really grisly situation. I mean, he didn't run away, but I'm not defending this guy for that. I think that he needs to go to jail. Yep. Or for, to a hospital. I'm chill with that, too. As long as they're not planning on letting him out right away because he clearly has some problems. Yeah, he doesn't need to be out amongst society, it He's sounds like. He's very murdery. And some sites have chosen to present this as him being undocumented, but I haven't really seen anything about him actually, like from like websites that are trustworthy that he was undocumented but it's being presented on certain uh websites that have an agenda that he was this undocumented person that's not how they said it yeah who committed this horrible crime and is part of a problem and i was like oh no so if you if you decide to follow up on this i'm pretty sure i have all the information you can find right now aside from you can watch the video of the cops there's not like a lot of stuff that like you know, like, it doesn't provide any extra information, but it is kind of interesting to see the police officers and to see him, you know, being arrested. But I did not read any of the ones, the articles or information things provided on the websites that had an agenda. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. they have, like, really obvious website <laughs> names of, like, basically, like, this is an agenda.com. Right. And I was like, yeah, we're not going to do that one. We don't need to provide that information. But we will try to keep you updated. I was going to try to wait until this case was resolved before I talked about it. I have a couple of current ongoing cases that I'm following because I just am really interested. I have actually had a couple be snatched out from under me by like really cool podcasts that I like. 
Anyway, I thought this would be interesting. I hope that you found it interesting. And also, there needs to be justice for Benjamin Montoya. I feel like I did not really focus enough on that one, actually. Like, Benjamin Montoya has still been murdered, and he he and his family had do not have justice. And chances are, like, if we're being honest with ourselves and we're looking at the case, it really seems like either Jill Arcanega Sains or Dakota Campo, Ocampo probably did this. They were both at the scene. They both had you know, a, the opportunity, possibly motive, based on this fight situation to do this crime. So the question is, which one of them did it? Or is there somehow a secret third person? In which case, they should really know who that is because the three of them were together. Yep. It's not like he left. That's true. Like, this, like Benjamin Montoya was killed in his room, I believe, based on the information that I have found thus far. So maybe they should reopen his case. Yep. And take another look at it. It seems like the, the right thing to do. I know. Maybe kind of wonder how come they couldn't match Dakota's gun or like excluded. I guess maybe from TV shows, I'm just used to ballistics as having like definitive proof based on a gun. Like this gun definitely did it or this gun definitely didn't do it. Maybe that's not always possible. Yeah. I'm not sure how that works. Yeah. Honestly. It's so maybe... We should find a ballistics expert to come tell us about that. That'd be cool. For realsies. All right. Well, if you're a ballistics expert and you want to explain to us, is it possible that they just can't match the guns sometimes? I know if they're missing, like, the bullet slash shell casing, right, they can't do it. But, I mean, did they have time to, like, clean up evidence? I don't know. It's interesting. I like how they both just kind of blame each other and the cops are like, oh, well, I guess we'll never know. Maybe that maybe I'm giving these cops too much credit <laughs> since that's like how they handled this. I do know that based on some of the posts about this murder, there were a lot of allegations about drugs and drug use being thrown around for some of these people, which also would maybe explain why this murderer guy, Arcanega Sains, was having mental health issues because sometimes those can be brought on by drugs. It's unclear if it's drug-induced or not because that information was not provided to me. But there were a lot of people connected to some of these individuals in the story that I did see posting about drugs. So it's possible that one or more of these people had some kind of connection to drugs. Yeah. So maybe that's why they're not doing as much to figure out some of this information. And also why some of them have been getting arrested a lot. We don't know for sure, though. So those are all speculations, which I know some people hate. So please don't sit at your house or your car or your business being like, no. All right. Well, that is what I have for you now today. And I know that this wasn't like the cleanest record. I'm going to still do some editing, but I don't have that long to edit. So I apologize for any oopsies today. As you know, we are cutting it very close because of our funeral trip. And if you're going to North Carolina, we recommend the Colonial Inn. Yep. And all, they're not paying us. We just had a nice time. Yep. In fact, we spent a lot of money on wine there. So <laughs> <laughs> They had good wine. Yeah, they, yeah we, we really enjoyed the wine. Also, we recommend the Nasher Art Museum. And also, we went to the Science Museum in Raleigh. And it's free. It's not like, we're going to be honest with you, the best science museum. But it's the best free science museum. So, points for that. And there was a lot of really cool stuff to look at, which was nice. Mm-hmm. So, you should totally check it out if you're over there. It's free. Oh, and we ate at this really good Lebanese restaurant. 
And I think it's called like cities or something. Yeah, city. Yeah. Or cities. We I don't know how you say it. I think it was city, just like S I T T I. Yeah, it was so good. Oh my god. Yeah. It was like really good, and everything was good. We couldn't figure out what was the best food that we were eating, and I would recommend that restaurant if you were in Raleigh, North Carolina, because it was phenomenal. Yes, it was. We were very impressed by the food in Raleigh. We are in Durham. We're like super judgy about food because a lot of people don't know this, but Houston has an unbelievable culinary scene. There's so much good food here. We are very spoiled. And you have like, we have every single food that you could possibly imagine. There's somebody making it and a lot of it's authentic because our city is so diverse. It's wonderful. So you can get any food that you want. But a lot of times when we travel, that means that we are kind of bitchy about the food because a lot of places are not as good at food. Yeah, so we were really impressed, though, because, like, all the restaurants we ate at in North Carolina had just really good food. Yes, they did. We had some good options. And so, yay, we went to an Ethiopian restaurant. I love Ethiopian food. We have a really good Ethiopian place in Houston called Blue Nile. And I saw that, like, that Ethiopian restaurant and thought, mmm. So, anyway, I'm just rambling. I just decided that i was going to talk about food (laughs) it's dinner time it was it was very good it's dinner time so apparently i need to tell you all about food so there's that we will let all of you go and frolic and do some fun things and have good weeks we are going to see you very soon have good weeks and goodbye bye